I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay. So, there's something that people have been asking me to do for a long time on the podcast, which is they want a mailbag show. Now, here's the problem. In order to do a mailbag show, I need to have somebody else read me the questions because I'm driving, for those that forget the whole premise of this podcast. Um, So, I needed to wait until I had a carpool guest, which of course is Matt Cavada. So, today is the very first installment Maybe there'll be more if it's popular, which I call Mailbag with Matt. So what will happen is I'm on the way to go pick up Matt, and we're going to answer your questions. So let me explain, while I'm driving to get Matt, let me explain what I did. So I went on Twitter, on my Twitter account, and I asked people to ask me questions that uh, they wanted to ask me or Matt or both of us. Uh, And then I printed up, I think I have five pages worth of questions, and I'm going to give those to Matt. Matt's going to get to pick whatever question he wants. So, Matt is the determiner of what gets picked. Um, uh, and I, I and or Matt will answer all your questions. Uh, and like I said, I, I have no idea how this will go. I've never done a live mailbag before. Uh, I've done a mailbag in my column. Uh, obviously, on my blog, I answer questions all the time. So, I'm used to answering questions. But uh, I'm used to answering questions where I get to think about what I say. And then I can look at what I write. And if I want, I can change it. Mailbag uh, and columns allow me some, uh, some time to... To think, this is live, or live for, you know, the podcast. So, you're going to get me to answer, uh, uh, first answer, no, no thinking about it, just the first thing that comes to my mind. So anyway, um, I'm off to get mad. Of course, I'm sitting in traffic, because, uh, uh, as we've learned, whenever I leave, <laughs> I hit the school traffic. But Matt lives very close, so we will be there very shortly. Um, anything else to try to tell you here? Um... Oh, people always ask me why when I get questions I tend to go to Twitter. Uh, and the reason is it's just the fastest way to get questions. And by limiting people to a tweet, I've learned that I can get concise questions. Um, I used to do questions through my, my, um, my email. And one of the problems with email questions is people will ask like three paragraph questions uh, and it just gets too, too uh, wieldy. I, the best questions are very short. They're making a point that are, you know, and uh, limiting to 140 characters seems to be a good way to get people to ask very concise questions, um, and, and ask one question. Uh, often in my email, I would have people asking me, like, here's question number one, and then contentional question number two, and then ask me, like, eight questions. I'm like, well, I can't answer that, because I just want to answer one question. Um, yeah, anything else asking as I'm waiting to get to Matt? Um, if, oh, here's what I'll say. I'm curious for feedback on this, on this podcast, because I don't know what people think of me answering mail. Uh, the podcasts in my column have gone over very well, and Blogger Talk is obviously the questions have gone over well. So, in theory, this should go over well. That's why we're doing it. Um, but I don't know. I, I, like I said, my my big worry, honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know a little, is that uh, I'm afraid I'll say stuff I'm not supposed to say. And for those that don't know, the way I record the podcast is I start my microphone, I go to work. If I mess up, that doesn't mean they got to do it again. And Matt and I don't carpool all the time, so. Messing up with Matt means I might not get a chance to do this again for a while. So, now, now, if you're hearing this, I didn't mess up. That's why you're hearing it. But, nonetheless, I want you guys to know that I'm still nervous because uh, this is me doing a mailbag without a safety net. In the sense that, uh, if I mean, I guess if I really mess up, you'll never hear it. But, uh, it's not a, it's a little, I mean, I used to do improv in college, for those that don't know. I, I uh, So, improv comedy is where you get up on stage and you ask people to give you... Uh, 
something, you know, a relationship, a place, a subject to talk about, and then you just make up a scene on the spot, and the audience knows you're making it up because they gave you what to work with. Um, and I love doing improv, so uh, I don't mind being put on the spot, but it, it's a little different. I, I'm, I'm used to answering questions where I get a little bit, a little bit more time to think through my answers. Um, so it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. I'm actually kind of excited to, to um, do this live. So anyway, I'm almost to Matt. Um, of course, of course, I'm in traffic. Um, yeah, recently, by the way, my uh, uh, my podcasts have gotten a little longer because for some reason it's getting rainy and that's slowing down my traffic. And so you guys are starting to get like 35, 40 minute podcasts. Uh, and in fact, a few longer than that. Um, but, okay. So as soon as Matt got, jumps in the car, I'm going to hand him the things. I, I, I told him, he knows it's a mailbag episode. So what happens is before, whenever I do a podcast with Matt now, this wasn't true in the very first one, but I tell him ahead of time what the subject is so he can think about it a little bit. Um, the mailbag column he can't think much about, but he at least knows that's what he's in for. So once he gets in the car, I will hand it to him, and we will, and we will be off. Um, I've gotten, by the way, a lot of good feedback about my podcast with Matt, um, so I, I, I plan to keep doing them as long as Matt keeps needing rides to work. And legitimately, by the way, this is not some fabricated thing. Matt, every time I'm driving Matt to work, he, in fact, needs a carpool to work. That is how he ends up in the car. Um, Ethan, when he did his, kind of, you know, went out of his way to get in my car so we could do a podcast. But uh, every single time Matt has been in my car for a carpool podcast, he, in fact, had to carpool. It wasn't just like, oh, we'll we'll carpool so we can do the podcast. Anyway, um, I'm babbling here. I'm waiting to get to Matt. That's the only problem of having Matt as a carpool guest is I have to wait for Matt before I can start the topic because I don't want to give anything away. Aha! I see Matt, though. So we are going to start. So once again, the first installment of Mailbag with Matt. Hey, Matt! Okay, Matt, it's the first installment of Mailbag with Matt! So here is five pages of questions. You are allowed to ask any question that you want of any of those pages. Um, they're all from my Twitter feed. Oh, there's, oh, there are names. Yes, there are names. So you tell me the name when you, when you read the question so we know who, who asked the question. Unless, I didn't double check the names. If the name's dirty, don't, don't say it aloud. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm, these are really big, fat questions. Well, j- jump in. We're, we're... Okay. From J.P. Thomason, we have... What do you consider to be the most balanced slash creative block ever besides Theros? Okay, so, so not Theros. Theros, Theros is off the thing. Um, now, when he says balanced, there's a couple things that he so can those mean. Seem like not related things. Balanced well, well, slash creative. Sure. He could mean an equal balance between interesting mechanics and interesting creative. That he could mean balanced in that the creative and the mechanics are equally balanced. Huh. Or he could mean what we normally mean by balance, which means the power level is balanced. Right. Um, if that's what he's asking, it's an odd question because how balanced the set is developmentally and how good the creative is aren't necessarily tied to each right. other. Right. So let's assume he means the other question, that's a more interesting question. Okay. Which is, what set has the best mix between neat flavor and neat mechanics that kind of are balanced well? Um, and I can't use Theros. Uh, I guess my answer is probably Innistrad. Um, Innistrad did a very, very good job, I thought, of having very compelling mechanics that were fun to play, but having a very neat flavor, and the two were really well balanced in that, you know, the mechanics really showed the flavor, but the flavor really played into the mechanics. Do you have a, do you have a different answer? Do I? Yeah. 
Um, I've been reading questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's more of my question anyway. Some of these are for you, by the way. Some of them, like specifically said, "Hey, Matt," and asked you a question. So. Um, how does the okay? This is from the foolish DM. Okay. How does the rest of the pit feel about your podcast? Um, some of them actually listen to the podcast, although... We just heard from a guy yesterday who doesn't listen but reads it. Oh, yes, yes. Well, um, Natasha transcribes a lot of them, so some of them read it. Um, in general, they're positive. I mean, I think, I think I'm known in the pit as being the R&D member that does the most outreach to the, to the audience, and so some of them read my blog, most of them read my articles, you know, a lot of them see my comics, so they, um, I think they like it. I mean, I think in general... I'm pretty nice. I don't say mean things about them or anything. I don't trash them in my podcast. So no, no, pretty positive. I mean, I we can do that though if you want to <laughs> talk about some people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the trashing podcast. So no, it, it's very positive. I, I think they, uh, you know, they 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 like that I do all the outreach to the, the player players that I do. Okay. Um. From. I guess I'll call this DC Irish 7. Okay. He or she personally loved Avison Restored. Okay. The general consensus was not as positive. Why do you think that is? Um, well, the set actually... So here, here's what goes on. It's an interesting thing. The, um, the set sold very well. It sold well. So there was an audience that very much liked the set and bought a lot of it and played with it. Um, where it got negative reviews was the limit the real hardcore limited players did not like the limited gameplay um and so a lot of the criticism on the set comes from the fact that it had um that the the real core drafting crowd did not like the, i mean once again this is all in context the, it, it, it followed Innistrad, which some people thought was the best drafting set we'd ever done ever uh and so i think it was following something that it was hard to follow and that it wasn't as good. And so it was a, a low point within our recent, you know, not... I don't think it's bad compared to historically. I think it was bad compared to the sets around it. I'd like um, to say that there is some, um, some measure of the public perception of a set's quality being based upon the vocal minority's opinion. It yes. could just be that people at large loved... Avison restored, but the people who like to talk about it might have had a different opinion. Right. Well, I mean, one of the things that's crystal clear is we look at many metrics when we try to figure out if, if something's a success. But one of the most important metrics is sales, which is was this something that people were excited to actually take their money and put it down and buy it? And when a lot of people buy something, that does say, hey, there's something going on. People wanted to buy it. So the set sold really, really well. So I guess I, that proves my point. Yeah, I mean, there are clearly... It, it was an angel set. A lot of people love that. There are a lot of fun things to do with it. The, when people hear the criticism, and I think you're right, it's a, it's a vocal minority, but that criticism mostly was aimed at the limited play, the dra- drafting in particular. Um, and to be honest, if, I, if I'm going to critique the set, I do believe that we made some mistakes in the limited play and that it was not our best work of the last five years. Although... I believe comparing to the last 10 or 15 years, it was good. I just, you know, I think we've upped our game, so. Okay, next question. Um, this isn't a question, but rather a command. Okay, command. <laughs> for you to tell me okay. that I need to write more feature articles. Oh, well, Matt, you need to write more feature. You did, you did awesome. So, Matt used to write, um, it was called Savor the Flavor. 
Taste and it, the Magic. Taste the Magic. I'm sorry. Doug's, Doug just saved the flavor. It's called Taste the Magic. It was the very first column about the creative, the creative yeah. team and all the work the creative team does. And then Matt left the company and Doug took over and changed the name to Savor the Flavor. And then Doug Byer wrote that for a while. Yes. But then Doug had so much going on, he couldn't continue anymore. And then Jenna took over, but it switched over to a... Uh, more about... It's fiction now. And then a bunch of different people write it. I think, in fact, right. Jenna handed it over to Adam Lee, who now oversees it. Well, I think at this point, it is a... Um, like a community Yeah, effort. yes. And I think that... That is... Um, indicative of my response to this particular command, uh-huh. which is like Doug has too much to do, Jenna has too much to do. Yeah, cre- the, the, the creative team has, has too much to do. One human has too much going on right now, uh, myself included. So uh, I appreciate that thought, Muskrat. But, the, the, but for the, the time being, there's probably <laughs> not going to be much opportunity for me to. Scribble. The, the one thing I should point out, because I've been writing forever. Um, for, for example, look at the development column. They're on their sixth writer for the development column, where I'm still, the, right. still doing the design column. The reason that I, I am writing is I, my background is writing. I love writing. I just I can't not write. And so I figure since I have to write, I might as well write about magic. So... Um, I also have a very, very busy schedule, given by the fact that I'm doing podcasts in my car on the way to work. Right. Um, but I, I, I've decided that for my job, interacting with the public is so crucial for what I do, because I have to understand what people want in order to design for them, that I've, made, I've carved out time so that I can do a lot of this public interaction stuff. But it, take, it does take a lot of time, and I'm, making, you know, I'm not doing other things because I'm doing this. And you know, I know Matt and the creative team and like, we are, we are busy. Uh, like the, the amount of awesome things coming to you in the next three years, yeah. hell, in the next seven years. But mostly right now, we're working on the next three years. A lot, a lot of fun stuff coming, but it keeps us busy. That's right. This is an interesting question. Okay. You've probably heard this one before, but okay. it's worth, it's worth uh, well, if it's, the if it's podcast a... crowd hearing. Um, is there anything you wish you could tweak about magic? but that you feel is too ingrained to do at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is from Colonial Pink. One of these days I'll write a column about this. It's such a meaty topic, there's a whole column worth. Um, I will hit a couple of the highlights. Um, and these are answers, if you've heard me answer this question, these are answers I give a lot. Um, but some people have not heard me answer the question. So number one, I wish that Instant was a, a super type and not its own card type, yeah. so that spells were just sorceries, and then... Um, instance, instant sorceries are what we now know as instance. And instead of having flash, you would have instant creature, or yeah. instant enchantment, or instant artifact. Um, I, a, I would do that. Um, I wish that um, we had more consolidated our our subtypes, such that, and not just creature subtypes, but I'd love to have spell subtypes. For example fire magic would have fire as a subtype and then fire wizards could interact with fire magic. I think yeah. that would be fun to do. Um, I have one. What? Um, I wish that we would have started the power and toughness range from zero to like a hundred. So you wouldn't have a case where a human is the same size as a rat. Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, some of them get ridiculous where you could have a human that's the same size as a, a house sized B 
beast. Yeah. It, it just doesn't make a lot of um, uh, creative sense. Yeah, it's I mean, nice the, to have that flexibility. Right. The, the only problem that would have is uh, if you have too wide a range of numbers, it does become a lot harder to, to, to process all the stuff. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, I mean, I definitely would um, have carved out the color pile a little differently. Um, there's some stuff that's got so ingrained that it just, it, it's very, very hard when you go, oh, this should change. But it's, people are used to so many years of doing something. So there's some tweaks I'd make to the color pie. Um, there's a long list of things. Ah, but now I'm on the spot. Uh, I think that I would also, um, what else would I do? Ah, I have a list I'm keeping in my, on my phone about things for my article when I write it eventually. And I'm, I have like eight or nine things on my list, so there's a whole bunch of stuff. One. What? This is a hot topic at the office. Okay. The card back. Oh, oh, yes, the card back. It's so ugly. Yes, we would do a different card back if Absolutely. we were starting over. It, it would look prettier. It wouldn't say Deckmaster on it. Yes. it uh, but that is absolutely too ingrained right now. Yes. Although that is... what. what so we have a lot of arguments at work. And one of the... Like, we've been having this ongoing argument for years and years and years, which is, should we change the card back? And what would it mean to change? And, and the funny thing is, every year it goes by that we don't change. It makes it that much harder to change it. Right. So... Um, here's an interesting one, and, and I know that the answer has got to be yes, I just can't think of one. Maybe you can think of one. This is from Sweet Tooth TKC, not to be confused with other sweet teeth. <laughs> Has there ever been a card whose art inspired the rest of it as opposed to the other way around? Um, the answer is yes. Yeah. Let me see if I can come up with a few that where that is true. The most famous story is the original Birds of Paradise in Alpha was not the art made for Birds of Paradise. It actually was made Tropical Tropical Island. Island, It was was turned in for Tropical Island and Richard thought the bird was too prominent. So what he did is he ended up making a card for that picture and they ended up getting a new piece of art for Tropical Island. So Bird of Paradise exists only because Richard was making a card to match the the art that was on the original Birds of Paradise. Um, Now, we also do something that we call slush where um, oh, absolutely. where we have art that for some reasons didn't get made. Um, so in Unglued, there's a card called Gus. And Gus was... And sl- one of the things I was doing for Unglued, like, look at the slush pile, see if you can find yeah. anything. And Temple of the Damned and Gus, I know, were both this sl- slush art that I just made into a card. Yeah, that happens quite a bit, actually. Um, and there's a bunch of other cards that have come out of slush. Um, so the answer is, it doesn't happen all the time, but yes, there are, there are definitely cards that were inspired by the art. There are, there are also examples of um, pieces of art that, because they come out particularly good, end up inspiring the team not to create a card for it, but to switch it on to a better card. Oh, yes. Yeah, it, it, I can think of some examples, but I don't, li- don't want to give them because that would sort of tip the hand as to which art we thought was inferior and worthy of the worst art. <laughs> so I'd rather just say that sometimes it happens um, because if you know a card is going to be super popular, it makes sense to put um, to put the best piece of art on it. Uh, so that happens. Yes, well, we definitely, I mean, uh, instead of, fo- what happens is we have a card we know is going to be awesome and sometimes we'll go let's swap art to get be- you know, the best art we can get on this card. Oh, one other example, by the way, is the third you make the card, 
which was Vanish Into Memory, started with the audience turning in art. We chose art, and the entire card was designed from the art. So that's when you guys made a card from the art. Right. Okay, next question. Um, since we both worked on... Hey, this is also from Sweet Tooth. He, Sweet Tooth asking yeah, a lot of good questions. Guys on a roll. Uh, since we both worked on Future Sight, mm-hmm. how, how serious is R&D about making contraptions a reality? Okay. Well, I've, I've, I've actually talked about this in my podcast. So here's what happened. When we made contraptions... We made it as a joke. We had no actual intention of making contraptions. That some of the cars, the idea was, um, I, I liked the idea of making a car that just had all this crazy terminology on it as kind of a, a joke about what might do in the future. And then Aaron got his hands on it and made it even crazier. And then when the set came out, Aaron wrote uh, a column because Aaron was the right. development columnist at the time. And he gave up the fact that we had never planned to do it. And I'm like, Aaron, Aaron, you guys can't tell them that. So once the audience knew that we didn't plan on doing it, of course, now we have to do it. But the problem is, because we didn't think we were going to do it, we did all bunch of crazy things with it. For example, uh, here's one of the hardest part, is it's not that you, the player, build contraptions. It talks about when a creature builds... When does a creature do stuff? You know, that's not something that we normally do. You know, other than, uh, yeah, I mean, a few famous examples where we templated poorly and you have to ask the floral spasm which artifact it wants to destroy. Um, so, the, so here's the thing. There's a lot of demand for contraptions. Once, as soon as I solve all the problems that we, basically what we did is we set up this crazy set of problems for ourselves because we thought we'd never have to solve the problem. So we just did crazy, crazy things. The day I solve those crazy, crazy problems... I promise you, I will make contraptions. Right. Um, here's a question that uh, sort of swings back to something we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, I don't know why this one is particularly aimed at me, but we'll just Okay. Say for her, Herb Derpless wants to know, um, or wants one of us to explain the size comparison between a traveling philosopher and grizzly bears. I've been answered. Do you have an answer? No, I just assume that it's because we're stuck with a small number of numbers. And okay, well, here's my answer: is I think people, when they think of philosophers, are thinking of earthbound philosophers. So one of the things on Earth, when you become a philosopher, well, mostly it's about the mind. You think a lot. But one of the things that on Theros is, in order to become a philosopher, you have to wrestle bears. <laughs> And only those that survive get to be uh, philosophers. Okay. Um, by the way, that might not be endorsed by the creative team. <laughs> um, this is a, an interesting question from Geraint Ultimus. Okay. A, I, I'm going to assume he's directing this he or question. She. At, yeah. He or she is directing this at me. Okay. Because the question is, how good a driver is he? <laughs> it's, fine. I, it's fine. I've been I've been in your car when you've been driving. We we have not get, gotten in any wrecks yet. We're in good shape. Yeah, I'm waiting for the uh, the accident episode. Right. Um. From Andre KSH. In our opinions, 
What is the most crucial part of the card? Mechanic, flavor, or art? The co- most crucial? Crucial. The funny thing is, I think each one of them do such an important job, but they're such different jobs. It, it, it's literally comparing apples and oranges. Or not literally, figuratively comparing apples and oranges. Well, the, as much as it pains me to say this, I believe the art is the least of the three, but I'm not ready to say which of the other two. Like, flavor supersedes art. It's the thing that um, determines what is going to be contained in that art. Whether or not this is a wizard or a uh, ooze, that's important. But whether or not the art is successfully rendered, that we can change by doing alternate art or or recommissioning the art in a later set or whatever. So I can't imagine that a a card will live or die. I, I will say this. From time to time, we will have a fight where the creative and the mechanics don't mesh. Right. And somebody's got to give. Um, whenever we can, if we can find a solution that mechanically works, that matches the creative, we do it. But I will say that when push comes to shove, if the card has to be a little bit off mechanically or a little bit off flavorfully, we will err on the side of mechanics because it's a game. Um, that doesn't mean we don't highly, highly prioritize having good flavor and trying to make flavor good. I do know, though, when, like, when, when the metal, you know, pedal comes to the metal and, and, like, something has to give, we tend to err on making sure the gameplay, that the mechanics work. Right. So, it's I, I, kind of a, it's a bit of a loaded question. Um, because if you look at a worst-case scenario for flavor or mechanic, yeah. for example, you have a, a, a perfectly pointed and designed card but the flavor is of a stockbroker on a bicycle. Right. It has no... You can't do that. Like, obviously, that has nothing to do with magic. And it's Challenge like, accepted! Utter failure. <laughs> and on the flip side, if you have a perfect rendering of Jace doing his most quintessential magic... Right. But the card is uh, completely worthless, broken, or cost 500 mana... No, like you, you can't. Yeah, and then they—they both are very, very important. That right. if you strip the, the flavor out of the game, the game wouldn't be what it is. And if you flip the mechanics out of the game, clearly the game wouldn't be what it is. And that, I think, one of the things that make magic magic is that it, it has such a lovely uh, intermixing of the two. And I think that's the strength of the game is that it has a very strong defined flavor and a very strong design and mechanics, and then they work so well together. So it, it is a. Um there is some contention with regard to making magic cards, but I think the thing that fans should uh, feel really good about is that both on the design and development side and on the creative side, both groups really passionate, really good at what they do, and they have mutual respect for each other. So there isn't going to be a point where somebody wins at the expense of the other. No, we always try to find something that makes everybody happy. Right. Um, right. Okay, next question. Okay. From Ruin... No. <laughs> Ryan Unplugged. Okay. <laughs> Will top-down design, that is to say, themes based on Earth's mythologies and concepts, be revisited in the near future? Okay, I can say this. Oh, hold oh. on. Do we want 
to limit top-down design to things based on Earth concepts? Well, I mean, top-down design means you're taking a known thing the audience is aware of and then building... Right, I mean, it could be sure. a known fantasy concept. Correct. You, you can do top-down design from creative built this awesome, amazing world, and that is the jumping-off point. Like something, say, contraptions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it is possible, yes. You could do top-down from a completely fictional, you've never heard of it before, but creative spent a lot of time energy building a world, and we started there. Yes. Um, a lot of the top-down we've done recently in Estrad and uh, Theros have been, we are starting from a place of a known real world, I mean, one's a genre, the horror genre, the other is obviously mythology. Um, will we do more of that kind of top-down design? Here's what I will say. We are currently doing the seven-year plan, so I'm mapping out seven years, and I can say, absolutely, we do have it planned. We are going to be doing more of that. But, but be aware, there's not... I know people seem to think, like, oh, this is awesome. You, you must have endless. They're, having uh, something that can inspire something that's as deep as magic is, that is the requirements of the number of creatures and spells and stuff that magic requires, it is not nearly as deep as list as you would think. But there are more. We do have some of them planned. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to read a question from Pseudoscorpion. Okay. Whose answer, I'm sure, will end up destroying part of your soul. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on. Let, let, let me brace my soul. Okay. If you absolutely had to get rid of one of the colors of magic, which would it be? Here, here's the sad thing is, I've answered this question before, so I've actually had a lot of time to think about it. So you're only, uh, you're running on 90% of your soul right now. Yes, already. I already lost some of my soul. Now i got to lose another 5%. I, I can only answer this question so many times. Um, okay, so let's assume... I mean, magic is awesome because of the structure that it has. The color wheel is the underpinning of everything. So the, the first answer is, it would be detriment to the game to take any color away, and I would never do that. Okay, now let's answer the question. Assume I have to, whatever, I'm, I'm forced. I have to make the decision. Um, so that what I would want to do is say, mechanically speaking, how can I take a color away and then take the things that color does and give them to other, to other colors? So what, I have to look at what color is most duplicated by other colors, and from a flavor perspective, what color could I try to group that thing somewhere else? So I actually spent a lot of time thinking about this. My gut says white. Oh, it's funny. Uh, I, I've come to green. Oh. Although, actually, white and green... that's a good point. Yeah. Um, if green is, <clears throat> quote, nature, yeah. all the things that exist in the other colors are representatives of nature as well. Right. So they're already, like a, a shark. Yes. Blue is I, I believe, green. here's why I think green, I mean, if you had to kill a color, and by the way, green lovers, I'm not, I have no intention of killing green. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a thought exercise. I mean, remember, I'm spending my soul doing this, so please, please give me some. <laughs> um, the uh, green and white are the two colors that overlap the most, and so the, it's the easiest for you to capture. Um, the reason that I think I take green is I think you could spread nature out to the other four colors and the, just say that, okay, nature has to be represented in white, blue, red, and black. I think you could, you could cover it. And I believe that the white-black conflict and the red-blue conflict are the two most easy-to-grasp human conflicts of the five. Yeah. And so I kind of want to keep those two conflicts alive. Green and blue is pretty good, too. Green and blue is very good. Nature nurtures an awesome. I mean, they're all good. Um, well, the funny thing about black and green is... The, uh, the life and death, um, those are, 
even though they're opposites, they're almost synonymous at the same time. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, it's I, so natural to think of something like uh, the Golgari in that uh, death to life, life to death cycle. It seems, I don't know. I could, I, I I'm with you. I could, I could. Anyway, so I, that one. I, I believe that that. To answer the question, if I had to get rid of a color, I had to, and I, once again, I would never get rid of a color, but if I had to, I think green's the one that we could survive the best. Uh, anyway, I mean, we'd lose stuff, and we'd have to figure out, like, I mean, a lot of, green has a lot of mechanical overlap, but there's a few spots where it doesn't. We'd have to figure out, like, what becomes the ramping color and stuff like that, but anyway. Oh, that's um, true. So, okay, we have, I, I see wizards. We have one last question. One last final. Okay. So make, make it good. Um, from Proflazers. <laughs> Proflazers, okay. How long does R&D now think it should wait before returning to a particular plane? Uh, that is an interesting question. Because, in the seven-year plan, we are going back to planes that we've been before. Um, Place how long? Oh, my God. Dun, dun, dun! Um, what? That's an interesting question. Uh... How long should we wait, or how long? I, I feel this. We want to make sure that when we go back to a world, that is some place that people are eager to, to go. So if you go too fast, they're like, hey, we were just there. If you wait too long, they're like, what, what is this place you, you speak of? So there's a sweet spot um, that my guess is... I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it's... I don't think we can go back faster, like... Like four plus? Four plus, yeah. Five, five or more years. And that, I think if you're going to go back to a place, I mean, I guess you could go back 10 plus years if you built it up a little bit. But but if you went back to a place after 10 years, like you, you're on the hook to try to explain where the hell you yeah, were. So, yeah. A lot, um, a lot of people won't know. The average player, by the way, plays right now seven years, I think. So seven years is kind of the sweet spot of, we still have people remembering it, but it's right. so. Okay, anyway, we are now at Wizards. So that was the first installment of Mailbag with Matt. Sweet. Anyway, so we had... It was a success. I, I said in the beginning, my big nervousness was if we make one mistake, we have to tape the whole thing all over again. But we made it. We made it to Wizards. My nervousness was getting sick reading in the <laughs> So anyway, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, it's always fun answering your questions. Uh, and let me know if you like this podcast, because if you do, uh, I'll have to have Matt again, and we'll do some more. But anyway, uh, thanks very much for joining us. But it's time for me to be making magic. Talk to you guys next week.